0: Every year, yesterday was, was October 31st, and every year on October 31st, three very important things are celebrated. I don't know if you know all three of these. Uh, one is Halloween, which I like to call the most Christian holiday, believe it or not, because we actually meet our neighbors and give them things. and So we, we actually practice our Christianity and demonstrate grace. Uh, it's also the day, October 31st, is the day that Roy and Donna Kendrick were married, Now you may not know who they are, they're an older couple that live in Troy, Alabama. They were married on October 31st, 1964, and they're my parents, so I find it very important that this is their anniversary, or yesterday was. The third thing that uh, we remember that happened on October 31st uh, was the day in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Church of the Door in Wittenberg, Germany. Uh, these were 95 statements that expressed Luther's distress uh, with certain things that were going on in the Catholic Church of his day. Uh, and some say that Luther, in doing this, was proclaiming independence from the Catholic Church. He didn't really see it that way. Uh, he felt that the church itself has strayed from dependence on God and strayed from dependence on God's word And he was trying to call the church back to dependence on the Word of God because he felt they had drifted away from God and from His Word. Now, we're Presbyterian and we're part of this Reformed tradition, so we're proud of guys like John Calvin and Martin Luther and the things they did and the way they tried to call the church back to the Bible. But the reality is, is that we ourselves need calling back to the Bible at times as well. And calling back to God. Because the tendency that we find in our own hearts is a tendency to drift. To drift away from God. We still, even as believers, carry around in us these remnants of our sinful nature. We still have those times when we don't really want Him to rule over us. When we would really rather be free to do our own thing. And we begin to drift away. And so what I want to ask this morning is, as we look at this text, what are some warning signs that I'm beginning to drift? What are some warning signs that I am beginning to drift? What does that look like? So if you look with me, First uh, Samuel, chapter eight. We're going to read the entire chapter. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to the officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks, and you shall be as slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. let pray for us. Uh, Father, we pray for help as we approach your word, uh, for the ability to, to hear it. I pray for the ability to, to speak it clearly and truthfully and accurately. Uh, God, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would come and, and work in our hearts and create in us great faith in your word and in your Son. And we pray it in his name. Amen. So our question here really is, is wondering, what does it look like when I start to drift? What are some things that if I see these in my life, I ought to be aware of these things and, and take action to deal with them? There's three things I want us to see. Three warning indicators that might pop up on our spiritual dashboard. Uh, number one is I stop seeking after God. I stop seeking after God. Number two, I become dissatisfied with my identity as a child of God. And number three, I turn toward God's substitutes. So we'll start with the first one. I, I stop seeking God. Now let's let's look. Let's think about what's going on here. This is after chapter 7. If you remember in chapter 7, the people of God have repented for their sins and they've returned to the Lord again. And now a few years go by and we find that Samuel is old. His sons haven't walked in his ways. They've, They've turned aside from following God. And so the elders of Israel come to Samuel and they say, look man, you're old and your sons are corrupt. We want a king like all the other nations have. Now, let's stop there just for a second. Do you notice what's missing in terms of the elders of the people of Israel? There's no prayer. There's no prayer. There's no asking Samuel to pray. There's no crying out to God to see what God thinks they might ought to do in this situation. Instead, they simply confront Samuel with their minds already made up, and they say, look, look, man, this is what needs to happen. We need a king like the other nations. They don't cry out to God. They simply size up the situation and come to Samuel and tell him to take care of it. They've already figured out what needs to happen. They don't need any input. They, they see what they need. They just need Samuel to fix it for them. And so I want to suggest that one of the things that that indicates that we're beginning to drift away from God is when we're faced with difficult situations, when we're under stress, when things aren't going well, and we're trying to figure out what to do, and we don't consult God at all. He's just absent from our game plan. We figure out what needs to be done, and, and we go and try to make it happen. When the church isn't thriving, or our business isn't thriving, or our marriage isn't thriving, or our children aren't thriving, we can come up with these lists of things. Well, I need to do this, and we need to do this, and we need to work on this. But very often, nowhere to be found on that list are search the Word of God, examine my own life, ask for for godly counsel from wise people, pray, seek the face of God, Um, I've I've quoted from Paul Miller before, and I don't have this quote exactly right, but he says something to the effect of, when I don't pray, I'm quietly confident that time, treasure, and talent is all that I really need to succeed in life, to fix the situation. I'm I'm competent. I can take care of this. And if you mix that competent, can-do attitude, I can take care of this with a little unbelief, and with a little cynicism, it begins to feel like prayer is just wasting time. I mean, why, why would I stop and pray? I've got all these things to fix, and I know what needs to happen. I just need to go do it. Uh, and you know that not crying out to God in these times of difficulty, that doesn't just happen out of the blue. It doesn't just start in the middle of the crisis. It started somewhere further back When I found myself too busy to pray, too busy working, too busy playing, too busy performing, too busy on social media, too busy to make use of the means of grace in my life. They just kind of became this optional add-on in my life that that I don't think that I really need. And And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty in that, but it's very often that these good things in our life, become the very things that crowd out uh, the things we need to maintain our relationship with the Lord. It's these good things that have this insidious tendency to crowd out the be- better things. A lot of it's not the bad things that trip us up. It's the good things that, that we invest too much time uh, and, and just invest in too strongly. Jesus, first let me go check my email. Jesus, first, let me go see if anything's happening on Facebook this morning. Let me return a few phone calls. Jesus, let me, let me finish this project, and then I'll follow you. And we start to drift. And it's not like anything dramatic, but it's just a little bit at the time as these other things crowd out Jesus in our lives. And then trouble hits, and we just figure out what needs to be done, and we handle it ourselves or if we do pray, it's, it's not God, thy will be done. It's God, my will be done. As if God is just sort of this genie on a retainer and we just call him out of the Bible whenever we need him, whenever things have gotten bad. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> I was taking a study week and went to the cove. In the first part of the week, got to hear Alistair Begg. And that was very good to hear him, uh, a Baptist minister. And Susan was, was with me for part of that time. But then at the end of the week, I had a couple of days left over and I, I signed up for their personal spiritual retreat. And when I signed up for it, I was really just doing it to get a room to stay in a couple of nights and I was going to use that as some, some study time and some, some long range planning and that sort of thing. But before I went, I talked to my church planning coach and he said, don't do that. Just just go up there and rest and be restored and, and, and get refreshed. So. When that day arrived, that week, I decided, hey, I'm actually going to use this material they gave me uh, that's meant to be for a a personal spiritual retreat. Uh, And I just walked the trails up there at the Cove near Asheville and prayed and meditated on Scripture uh, and really just sought God and and didn't, and and don't take offense, but tried not to pray for the church or pray for you guys or pray for the success of this thing, but just actually time uh, between me and God, spending time with His Word, in His Word and in prayer, and it was one of the most—it was one of the best things I've ever done. It was incredibly refreshing, incredibly restorative, and you know I've said to myself, when I get back, I need to build times in my schedule where I'm seeking God—not just because it's my job and I'm a pastor and it's of what I'm supposed to do, but because He's my Father and I'm His child, and I need to do that. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Uh, I I, I say all that to say, pray for me in that, but I say that also because you need Jesus. And you need times where you're just meditating in His Word just to know Him. Not because it's a spiritual checklist. Not because you're like, well, this is wrong in my life, and if I spend time in the Bible, then it's going to get better. Uh, Not because you're trying to get Him to accomplish something. But just to know Him and to be with Him and to think about who he is. Uh, We've been using as the church, I I, I can't remember if we started, I think we started in August, the first Tuesday of the month to pray and to fast uh, for God to establish Grace Presbyterian Church as a particular church. Uh, And that's coming up again this Tuesday. But I want to encourage you to actually do something a little bit different this week. Instead of... Praying for God to bring people and to bring the money that we need. I I want you to just take that time, if if you participate, and just use Tuesday to fast and to seek God's face. Take a psalm. Read through it. Meditate on it. Pray through the verses. Psalm 86 is very helpful to me. You might try using that verse. Ask God as you're fasting. Say, God, I want you to help me to know you. I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I just want to know you better. And I'm I'm pretty sure that if we become a church full of people who are simply seeking to know God, then everything else is going to take care of itself. So I don't feel like we're wasting a day if we don't pray, God, bring more people on Tuesday. But if we simply, as a congregation, seek his face. If you get back on track... Um, Beware of those signs, that you don't have those times in your life when you're seeking God, that, 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 you're, that you're beginning to drift, that, that your prayer life has become uh, anemic, that you're trying to handle things without turning to God. If you're demanding things of God without really asking, well, hey God, what do you want in this situation? Those are warning lights that you're beginning to drift. So secondly here, the second warning light that comes on when we're starting to drift is that we begin to become dissatisfied with our identity as God's children. We begin to become dissatisfied with our identity as God's children. Uh, the fact that I'm God's child, that I'm redeemed by Him, it's just not doing it for me. Uh, you can see the Israelites losing sight of what they have and who they've been called to be in their cry, we want a king. We want a king like the other nations so that we can be like the other nations. We want to be like everybody else so that we can have a good life. But, but guys, God is your king. That's not good enough. We want to be like those other nations. We want to be like them. But the people of Israel, the Old Testament people of Israel, were God's people. I mean, just how would that wash over you for a second? They were called out among all the nations to be God's treasured possession. They were God's people. They were set apart to be like God, to make him known, to be holy, to be different, to be a light to the nations. But they got tired of being who God had called them to be. Their identity as a people of God wasn't enough for them. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we hear our identity as a people of God today. Listen to what 1 Peter 2 says. It says that the church is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. I mean, shouldn't that be, that should be thrilling to us. That, that we were in darkness and now we're in light. We were not a people and now we're, we're God's people. We've been redeemed. But to be honest, generally speaking, we're more excited about our team winning or more upset about our team losing. Like, those are the things that thrill our soul and not the fact that God has redeemed us and made us His own. Our identity as God's people very often isn't enough for us. It's not enough for us. Uh, Like Israel, we're supposed to be ruled by God's Word. We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be a light to the nations around us, to the people around us. We get tired of all that it can start to be a burden for us at times we wanna be like the people around us they look like they're having a lot more fun than we are they seem a lot more carefree than we are Uh, Psalm 73 the psalmist complains they're all fat and happy God I'm trying to follow you and everything's going terrible and they're not following you at all and everything's going wonderfully for them and we just have those moments where we're like God you know what I just wanna be like them I just wanna be like the world I'm, I'm tired of being different. Following Jesus is wearing me out. I'm tired of being ruled by the word of God. It's hard when life isn't lining up the way we want, to, want it to line up. I know, I know I'm a child of God. I know my sins are forgiven. I know I have a heavenly inheritance But life is wearing me out, and it would be so much easier if I could just not follow Jesus here at least for a little while. You know, we're going to sing after this, we're going to sing, All I Have in Christ. And the truth of the matter is, it's easy to sing, All I Have is Christ, Jesus is my life, when inside I really wish I had something else. I'm really longing for something more. Uh, A friend of mine who's a pastor was telling me that he was telling me about a group of five of them who kind of went through seminary together and went on into similar types of ministry. And he said of those five friends, um, one of them divorced his wife, remarried, and then died. Um, Another one had multiple affairs, eventually repented, uh, and restored but is no longer in the ministry. Another one is kind of left the conservative evangelical world to, to, to a very liberal part uh, of the church. And the fourth one, I, it was something equally bad that had happened. And he was kind of the only one who had remained theologically orthodox. And I was thinking about that. And I was like, what? You know, I wonder what happened with them. And I started thinking, maybe Jesus just wasn't enough. Maybe Jesus just wasn't enough. Suffering was hard. Marriages were hard. Life was hard. Being different from the surrounding culture is hard. Following Christ is not this walk through spiritual Disneyland that we we try to make it out of the church sometimes. But it's always just this wonderful thing. Uh, It's more like what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. Like, there are these great and exciting moments, but there's also just the, just the, the trudge and the walk, and we just the keep on keeping on the long obedience in the same direction. If you're showing up and you're singing, Jesus is my life, but your identity as a child of God is really just so many words that you kind of get out on Sunday morning, and and then you, you just go the rest of, of, of your week trying to find your life in everything but jesus then that's a sign you're starting to drift you're starting to drift be careful uh, thirdly the fir- third warning light that goes off is that when we turn to god's substitutes Let's look in verse seven and eight again <clears throat> and the lord said to samuel obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done, from that day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. And then God says, Hey, this is what's happened, but I want you to solemnly warn them. Are you are you sure about this that you want a king? And then this is what they say in verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, who had been going out before them and fighting their battles beforehand? God had right chapter chapter seven as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering the Philistines drew near to attack Israel but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion and they were routed before Israel the Lord had gone out before them and fought their battles the king with a capital K had been fighting for them and now they want to trade that in and they want the king with a little K so that they can be like all the nations. And they want Him to go out before them. And there's a part of me that kind of reads it and is like, man, they, they're so quick. They just saw all this happen and God had fought for them. And how can they turn away so quick? When I look at my own life and see how easy it is to see that the goodness and the graciousness of God and then to quickly and again turn away from Him. We're still the same in turning from God and embracing our God substitutes. It's what Samuel's sons do. Um, verse 3, his sons did not walk in his way, but they turned aside after gain. Like, hey, you know, this fallen God is nice, but I could sure you some more money. And Jesus is right when he says you can't serve both God and money. And so Samuel's sons drifted away. When when we start to drift, we begin to turn back to those God substitutes again. And, and, you know, they're they're different in all of our lives. Those things we turn to for meaning and significance and comfort instead of turning to God. We start to rely on the kings with a little K instead of the the king with a capital K. What's that look like? Uh, It looks like unceasing worry where we just continually worry. It looks like angrily flying out the handle over and over again because we can't get the people in our house to do what we want them to do. It looks like being unable to do the right thing because we're too concerned with doing the cool thing. It looks like too many hours at work. It looks like neglecting the means of grace. It looks like putting your roots down into things other than God and trying to, to derive life from those things. Uh, one of the, the God substitutes that, that, that's very uh, prevalent in our culture that, that many of us, I'm sure, struggle with is this, this God substitute of success. Somebody said that success is actually the, the alcohol of our day, that that's the thing that we as a culture are addicted to is success. Uh, Madonna once said, I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody... I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. It's your God substitute. Success is your God substitute. What, what, what's your God substitute? What, what, do you, what do you find yourself dwelling on when you lay down at night when your head hits a pillow? What do you find yourself daydreaming about? Where are you finding trying to find life apart from God? Where are the places that you're returning to again and again? Uh, we need to know our hearts because our idols, our substitute gods can be very tricky. Uh, you too, and one of their newer songs called The Troubles uh, sing, and you think it's easier to know your own tricks. Well, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do to know your own tricks because we, we deceive ourselves. And so that's why we need this constant exposure to the word. But we also need other people. You need you need somebody in your life who will call you on your junk. Somebody that you can walk up to and say, you know what? what? What do you see? What do you think my God substitutes are? What am I pursuing instead of pursuing God? Well, three warning lights. We... Slowly quit seeking God. We become dissatisfied with our identity as God's children. It's just not enough for us. And then we start running after other gods. And where does that leave us? Well, not such a good place. Uh, I'm going to read all this again, but in verses 10 through 17, this is the warning that Samuel gives the people. He says, these will be the ways, in verse 11, of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots. Verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields. Verse 15, he will take the tenth of your grain of your vineyards. Verse 16, he will take your male servants and the female servants. Verse 17, he will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. Do you you hear the word that's repeated over and over and over? The king will take. He will take. He will take. He will take. Our God substitutes always take more than they give. When we we serve kings with a little K, instead of serving the king, eventually those kings enslave us. These things we run after thinking, that's where I'm going to find freedom. They actually enslave us instead. Again, what are those? What are those for you? What are those for you? Uh, another way we can find those in our lives: look at your calendar, right? If you can't find any spot in your calendar where you can just prop your feet up and watch Netflix for two hours, and nobody's going to say anything to you about that, um, you may just have a lot of children in diapers. or... Um, are there's there's a good chance that something else has captured you. That you're serving some God substitute and that God substitute that you're serving won't let you rest. And that's why you can't rest. He won't let you rest. He's making demands of you, making demands of your time. That's not the God of the Bible, y'all. The God of the Bible actually commands you commands me to rest to rest well where do we go um the text is is not a very hopeful text all right the 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 people of god ignore the warning they say we want a king god says this is what he's going to be like so we want him anyway and so god gives them a king what's the good news The good news is, if you go back and you read through the Old Testament, God is not completely against kings. He's concerned, though, with what the king will be like. He's concerned that that he be the one to appoint him in his time and of his choosing and of his place, not when he is demanded, not when the people are demanding one, not when they want one that will be like the kings of the other nations. If you go back and read, I won't read it now, but Deuteronomy 17 talks about this, This man of God who will be king, who will read and meditate on God's word, and who will rule God's people justly. And so God's not against them having a king completely. He's concerned with why they want a king. He's concerned with why they want a king. In any event, they get a king. And we'll read more about him next week. And other kings will follow. Some will be closer to this ideal king of, of Deuteronomy 17 than others. Some will be godly, some will be ungodly. But through all of them, you're left longing. As you read the Old Testament, none of these kings can really get the job done, even the best ones. And so you're left longing for a better king. And that better king shows up in the pages of the New Testament. Uh, listen to the Gospel of Luke, as we're getting, we can start talking about Christmas, right? Because we're done with Halloween. That's how it works. Um, <clears throat> Luke one, verse thirty. And the angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great." and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end what type of king is Jesus for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die But God chose His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of king is Jesus? Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, the Father. That's the king we need. That's the king we need. A king who comes to give and not to take. A king who comes to free and not to enslave. That's the king we need to know. That's the king we're made to know. That's the king we're made to worship. That's the king who loves you. Do you know that king? You know that, King. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord God, um, I pray that we would be wary of those ways that we tend to drift. And wary of those ways that we uh, become dissatisfied with our identity as your children. And start looking again for our God substitutes. And can't find the time to seek your face. God, would you, uh, even today, show us what great a king, what great a savior we have in Jesus, one who has come to seek us and to save us. And would you help us to know this king and love this king and to rejoice in this king. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.